it's still pretty similar, but what I had him on was, you know, you would do a squat like week one, week two would be a deadlift. Uh, week three might be a different squat variation, like, or you could even maybe do the same squat, but with chains or something like that. You know, you're training basically all of your weak points. Uh, like there's no position that you're going to be weak in. You're doing wide stance, you're doing close stance, you're using chains. And so that kind of goes back to, you know, how do we get people to improve without spending 60 minutes in the gym doing squats? And the way to do that is to provide a lot of variation so that people always have something that they can improve on. So in terms of that, I think relaxation is the single most underappreciated element of athleticism just out there right now. And if you watch any elite guy, whether it's Usain Bolt in the 100 meters, Jonathan Edwards in the triple jump, or Jan Zalesny in the javelin throw, the one thing they all have in common are elite levels of relaxation where they kind of they drive the movement proximally and the energy transfers outwards through their limbs through that relaxation. And, you know, I think looking at it from that lens of energy transfer instead of, you know, force production of the limbs explains a lot of their you know, elite level performances. That was Grant Fowler and Kevin Foster. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to mention a really cool item that is available now from our sponsor, simplyfaster.com in their store. That item is Exogen Premium Wearable Resistance. Exogen is a series of tight-fitting sleeves along with uniquely shaped fusiform weights that strap directly onto those sleeves. So what I mean is you can have shin sleeves, arm sleeves, shorts, and a vest, and you can strap these uniquely fusiform-shaped weights, they're light in nature, 100-200 grams, that strap on in a way that allows you not only to resist movement very specifically, but also add fine-tuned elements of rotation to that resistance. So this is the next level of wearable resistance. You may have heard this from back long ago on the show, Hank Kreienhoff talking about it, to recently Chris Corfis, sprint coach, talking about it. This is the next level in premium wearable resistance. I've used it myself. I love it. I love not only the way it feels and the way you feel form and technique change. It's like combining technique with power. And so often we just think about weighted vests as just pure force, pure downward gravity loaded resistance. This is the ultimate combination of technique with power, and it shows up in things like Chris Corfis being able to take time off an athlete's 10-meter fly by putting the sleeves just on one side of the body in ipsilateral resistance. We're using the body's own systems, fine-tuning it, and that's what this does. It allows you as the coach or an athlete to create, explore, and fine-tune the way that the resistance is rotationally impacting the body. This is next level stuff, and I know you'll love it. So you can check that out in the Simply Faster store. Head on over to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com, and get your exogen gear today. Hey, everybody. It is awesome to have you guys here for another show. So the seeds of this particular episode with Kevin Foster and Grant Fowler was a comment that Kevin Foster made to me uh, a while back, and he, we were talking about his a little bit about some training concepts and his javelin training for the 2020 and now 2021 Olympic trials. And Kevin had mentioned how when he got on to Grant Foster's weight training program, 
that so many of his performance markers had just exploded, not only in weights, but also his dynamic performance and some things that he was seeing in, at the time, his short approach javelin throws. And we'll get into more of that later in the show. But long story short, Kevin was getting some awesome results getting onto Grant Fowler's weight training program. I really love doing case studies and not just talking philosophy, which we certainly do on this show, but getting into the nuts and bolts and what were you doing for training? What are you doing now? How did that change things? Uh, those are the conversations that are so often needed and they're the ones I enjoy having. So uh, before we get any further, if you don't know who Kevin Foster or Grant Fowler are, Kevin Foster has been a routine writer for the Just Fly Sports website, writing so many thoughtful and progressive articles. He is a former NCAA Division I javelin thrower. He's also training for the 2021 Olympic trials in the sport. He's the owner of the Javelin Anatomy Instagram page and was previously appearing on this podcast on episode 164. Grant Fowler is the owner of Fowler Fitness in the Woodlands, Texas. Grant works as a private training and online performance consultant, and he's very well known as a different thinker who has a distinctive nonlinear and adaptable style to his training program design. Grant was recently on the show on episode 190, where he went into a lot of the nuts and bolts of that nonlinear training program. So on this show today, we're going to get into some of the philosophy behind what went into Kevin's program, as well as some ideas on just things like, can you be too holistic in your training program design versus, I guess, being overly, <laughs> overly isolationist. So some ideas on that, we're going to talk about some ideas on mobility, some ideas on just general strength and capacity as a factor as an athlete moves throughout time, as well as some of the updates or some of the ideas that go into uh, Grant's program, beginners versus intermediate versus advanced, as well as ideas on tapering and so much more. This was a really fun chat with two very forward-thinking young coaches, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Let's get on to the show. Kevin, Grant, great to have you guys back on the show, dudes. Let's uh, let's start by chatting a little bit about, I mean, it's been probably about a year, maybe a little more since I talked to either of you. Uh, what have you guys been learning lately, especially like when COVID's hit and probably changed some you know, restrictions and things like that. But what, what have you guys been learning recently since the last time we talked? Yeah. So it's been a pretty crazy year for me. You know, I think it's been actually over a year now since I did the podcast. And I think one of the things I mentioned was I was gearing up for Tokyo 2020, trying to hit the standard there. So basically since the last podcast, I kind of transitioned from kind of like coach mode back into athlete mode. And actually part of that was getting in touch with Grant and, and working through his programming. You know, so I was, I was pretty geared up for the 2020 season and obviously things fell through. So now I'm just kind of like recalibrating, figuring out where I want to go from here. One of the big things for me is just kind of getting back into coach mode a little bit. So I'm actually, I've been working on putting out a little like mobility training program for people who have been just kind of like living in the weight room mindset for, you know, the last X amount of years and ignoring mobility work. I kind of put together a program that kind of works for, you know, all levels. It's like a three level training program that just kind of starts at like the beginning basic building blocks of mobility. So stuff like breathing, learning how to breathe, training like isolated joint mobility, isolated joint strength, and then kind of just progressing through all the way into stuff like, you know, like coordination, co-contractions, uh, training like fascial connectedness, and then even getting into quote unquote, like extreme displays of flexibility. So stuff like dropping into splits and full back bridges and stuff like that. I think it's a great time to be working on this stuff. 
you know, where maybe you're, you've been locked out of, out of the gym, you still don't have all the equipment you need, but it's kind of the, the whole system is kind of what I've been using over the last, I mean, definitely last six months since I've been out of the gym, but it's kind of just what's, what I've been using to, to kind of take care of my body after beating it up throughout college through three surgeries. So I'm excited to be putting that out, but yeah, man, now I'm still also just back in athlete mode, gearing up for next season, just back into my training. So going to be exciting kind of moving forward over the next few months yeah in terms of the mobility too like have your views and as a javelin thrower clearly you need quite a bit of mobility but have your views on static stretching how much do you need or mobility do you truly need all those things has that changed really for you in the last year or two yeah so honestly the i think i've maybe it hasn't necessarily changed for me but i think i've just better been able to put it into words and I think that one of the biggest problems with mobility training, and really, honestly, even just any training at all, is there's two problems, and they're, they're the same problem, really. And it's, first, we do too much, too soon, and then we don't do enough. So we kind of like go straight into these lifting programs that revolve around powerlifting and Olympic lifting and, you know, max effort sprints and, you know, measuring maximal vertical jumps and, you know, velocity-based training, this, that, the other. But we ignore the foundation of isolated joint mobility, right? Getting your hips moving, getting your, your spine moving, spinal segmentation, strengthening the feet, developing structure through the knees. Like how do we have these guys who can squat houses, but have weak knees, Right? You can squat 400 pounds, but you can't do a sissy squat. You can deadlift a house, but you can't bend up and pick up a pencil without throwing out your back. So it's like we skip the, these foundational aspects and go straight to these, how you're quote unquote supposed to train, which is pretty much the standard model for most. I mean, I would say like the NCAA training system, but then you get stuck in that system and you never progress beyond that system. So in terms of like mobility work, it's like, yeah, sure. We go right into like, guys will do like hurdle walking drills, walking over the hurdles. We'll do, you know, your standard issue dynamic warm up with the world's greatest lunge stretch. You'll do the sweeping toe touch stretch, but you never do like the FRC stuff. You never do Dr. Tommy John spinal hygiene. You never do strength through length type weightlifting drills. So we go right into these kind of like integrated forms of mobility, skipping the isolated phases, but then we stay there, right? And it's like, imagine if every track and field athlete on a, on a track team could drop into full splits, or if they could do full back bends or Jefferson curl their body weight. And it's like, there's so much farther we can go with just the human potential of movement. And so it's like, why are we, why are we stuck in this training no man's land? So, yeah, so, I mean, the, the mobility program I put together kind of is based around that idea. You know, people might see, like, the beginner phase and be like, wow, this is way too easy, or this is boring, or I can do more than this. But they're missing the point that they're going to progress through and go all the way to things that they didn't even know was possible for their body to do, right? You can do splits. You can do back ridges. You can Jefferson curl your body weight if you progress there. And I just think that that's like a powerful message that a lot of athletes miss. Yeah. I like the, like the back bridge and the Jefferson curl have been two that I've been uh, the back bridge, like the wrestler bridge I've, I've loved forever, especially working with swimmers. It just, I always noticed that the, the swimmers who have better control of their spines and can do that movement well, just tended to be better in the water. They had more 
bandwidth to work with from a spinal perspective. Do you think though, like, I mean, does everyone on the track team need to do the splits? You know what I'm saying? Like, is that going to make a shot putter or a sprinter or any, like, how does that play in? Cause I think that's a big question is how much is too much. And then even then maybe we'll talk about this later, but my question is always, when do you start needing anything other than an extreme ISO to create mobility? If that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Grant, if you want to jump in on this too, I'd be told, and I want to get to you asking Grant, you uh, as well, what, you, what you've been learning lately. So that's definitely still in the, in the queue here, but if you guys want to chime in on that. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of, you know, I think there's a lot of people that look at training sometimes almost too holistically. I think like that's kind of become the trend now because there was a point in time where it was almost too reductionist. And so now people are starting to look at things through the lens of, holism through everything and so you know you kind of have these people like if you look at a lot of like the functional patterns people it's like okay all we're gonna do is global movements you can improve your mobility doing just dynamic global exercise and I think to some extent that's probably true but you know when we talk about really going in and kind of like expediting a very specific goal with a lot of precision Then that's kind of when we need to look at some of the stuff that like Kevin is having people do where it's a little bit more targeted and you can kind of do it in conjunction with a lot of the more like global macro type of training that you're doing. And it's, and it kind of just helps you, you're, you're able to integrate some of that more isolated range of motion and some of that more isolated strength kind of into some of these dynamic contexts when you're kind of doing them simultaneously And so I think a lot of the stuff that, you know, Kevin is talking about, and then even a lot of the stuff that I was kind of having him do in the program is sort of along those lines where to some extent, we're going to need to approximate some degree of specificity in training if we want our training to carry over maximally to sport. But then we also have to kind of shift focus a little bit and look at, you know, what are some of the smaller things that I need to work on? What are some of the what are some of the, the details that I can focus on here to kind of make everything that I'm doing a little bit more effective, if that makes sense? One thing I yeah, think- Yeah, and, and off that, oh, sorry, Joel, I'll just go ahead. But off that, it's like specific skills and whatever your sport is, it's made out of specific general adaptations, right? It's like everybody has the same system of joints and levers within it. But it's a matter of every sport is going to coordinate that system of joints and levers slightly different. But if you never train and, and drive those adaptations to be able to move and strengthen the body in those isolated settings, then you're never going to be able to use those in those fully integrated settings. And so, I mean, I think that that's why I think that general versus specific is kind of just not the right argument to be having just because, you know, when you really break things down, you're always training for a specific adaptation, but it just might not look quote unquote specific to your sport. Right. So I think, yeah, the general versus specific thing can be a little deceiving because in reality, it, it really all kind of is the same stuff. It's just on a spectrum, if that kind of makes sense. So I think people see a lot of isolated range of motion. They see isolated feats of strength, like a, maybe a heavy back squat or a deadlift, to some extent, I think there's a point where that may not be as applicable. It may not be what you need to focus most of your energy and attention on. But I think it would also be false to assume that that type of strength is going to be, or just even range of motion, 
is going to be completely disconnected from sport because it's quote unquote isolated, there's still going to be some degree of transfer there. And I think a lot of the stuff that we do in the gym is more so about what can we do in the gym to drive a specific outcome most effectively? And then how can we kind of string a lot of those little victories together to kind of improve performance, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of things that we're going to do in the gym that may very well be isolated. You know, if you're doing a bicep curl, obviously that's not usually the way your bicep's going to function in a sport. It's obviously going to be doing a lot of other stuff with other joints and other muscles involved. But even if you are doing a bicep curl, there's still going to be a lot of other things that you're kind of using at the same time. It's not like anything we ever do is like completely or 100% isolated or fragmented. Yeah, I think those are points too. I think we can we can bring up specifically talking with how you guys work together with Kevin's program and the total program and integrating that to javelin performance. I did with the stretching too. I, I just... I can always, for some reason, I always get hung up on like people doing the splits and stuff like that. Cause I, I bought Pavel's book, like relax in a stretch. I've like, I've done that kind of stuff. And I always know when I get up from doing those very long holds, I just feel like if I was to go run, it would feel like the most horribly uncoordinated thing. Cause you just totally messed up the muscle receptivity. Of course, then you go the next day, probably fine. Right? Like, so I, I tend to base, you know, you have a short-term thinking and then a well, this is probably fine the next day, but it's maybe not necessarily range you needed it or didn't need. And I think about doing like an extreme ISO lunge though, or extreme ISO pushup, like maybe I'll give two different examples, like an extreme ISO lunge, depending how long I did it. Now, if I just did it for like 30 seconds a minute, <laughs> I'll get up and I'll, I'll be okay. Like give me, give me a little bit. I, I can go and I can do some running. I actually feel pretty good. It might, it might feel better. If I do it for five minutes, I'm probably going to hobble around for like the next 10 minutes. And, and who even knows, you know, like the cute, the cute effects, right? But I do know doing, I can feel the effect of those lunges. Like we do hill workout once a week here at Cincinnati and I feel good. Like I feel it and, and I feel, I can like really feel the effects of that. Maybe not from a mobility standpoint, maybe it's a more movement. Maybe it's just the, the front hip and the back hip and they're working in opposition more as I sink down into it. I don't know. I guess my question is, is how much range is too much range in some of these feats? Like a side splits, for example, and in, in, I'm sure there's respect to sport, like javelin, you probably need a lot. Like, was it better? Like that huge split, right? Like it's through that 97, man, that's like crazy. I bet that guy's got a ton of mobility, but does a sprinter need that much? Does a basketball player, you know what I'm saying? Like, where do we determine what's appropriate in those scenarios? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first big thing to kind of address is just that stretching, generally speaking, is just super, super, super like misunderstood. And there's just a stigma attached to it, right? Where everybody hears stretching and, and kind of like the first thing they'll say is, well, oh, well, I mean, you know, I'll stretch and then I'll go try to run and I feel horrible. But then it's like, okay, then try it differently. Don't stretch right before you run. Do like a session at night and you know, see how you feel the next day, you'll probably feel totally fine. So it's just figuring out how it, how it fits into your own specific training program. But then the, the how much range is too much range. I think that stretching goes hand in hand with relaxation. And I think that too many athletes lack the ability to turn off their muscles. And, you know, that's what stretching is, right? You train to turn off your muscles. You sit in the stretch and you're you're feeling the line of tension and you're trying to relax into it. So in terms of, of that, I think relaxation is 
the single most underappreciated element of athleticism just out there right now. And if you watch any elite guy, whether it's Usain Bolt in the 100 meters, Jonathan Edwards in the triple jumper, Jan Zalesny in the javelin throw, the one thing they all have in common are elite levels of relaxation where they kind of they drive the movement proximally and the energy transfers outwards through their limbs through that relaxation. And, you know, I think looking at it from that lens of energy transfer instead of, you know, force production of the limbs explains a lot of their elite level performances just in terms of you know one example i used pretty recently is like okay a catapult can launch something far right the catapult represents the muscle driven athlete who just you know the more force you put in the more force you get out but then the whip can break the sound barrier through elasticity relaxation and sequencing and so to me that's where i see stretching kind of fitting into things and you know, I think saying how much range is too much range is maybe a, a little bit of a kind of like myopic point of view where if you're putting it into a well-rounded program with, you know, in a well-rounded strength program, a well-rounded athletic development program, you're not going to turn into a rag doll, right? You're still going to have the coordination and the skills and everything else. You're just going to have a little more range with it. And I think until you experience that range yourself, you know, it's, it's impossible to really like put into words the, the different feel that it brings to movement. Yeah. And, and I think too, just, you know, with what Kevin said, that was kind of a big part of our programming is, you know, anytime you ask a, how much is too much question, you kind of, it's really more important to consider like time management than it is worrying about whether you're going to confer some type of negative benefit to sport I think the biggest issue is how much is too much is usually a question of, you know, am I spending all day in the gym working on this one thing so much to the extent that I don't have time to do anything else. So if we're talking about maximal strength, I mean, we've had people on the program that continue to get stronger probably for the past three or four years. And it's not, I mean, we maximal strength train people for probably 20 or 30 minutes maybe at the most. And then even in between that, we're doing a lot of other things. Like we're combining jumps with that. We might be doing some breathing drills and stuff. So it's, you know, people will ask the same question with strength training. It's like, how much is too much? And I don't really think it matters necessarily unless you're in the gym, like just squatting for an hour. You know, you find a lot of people that get to the point where, okay, you have a 500 pound squat and to get to 600, you need to spend 45 to 60 minutes just squatting, right? I think the answer to that question is once you're spending a disproportionate amount of time focusing on one thing, that's when I think too much is too much, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, Grant. And, and off that too, I think it's really important that you can't separate that question from the methods that you use to actually attain the levels of whatever attribute you're going for, right? Where, you know, there's very, very time consuming to get strong. There's very, very time consuming ways to get flexible, or there's very, very time efficient ways to get flexible. And that's exactly. where you, you do have to look at it from that holistic almost like connecting the Venn diagram kind of approach and find that middle connecting point. Yeah. And, and I think 
with a lot of the stuff that we did in your uh, training, Kevin, it was kind of along those lines where maybe we were doing everything that we needed to get you stronger, but it wasn't all in one session. So you'll have a lot of people that it's like if you're doing powerlifting, you might go in and do a back squat and then you're going to do some specific auxiliaries to improve the back squat. So you might do like a pin squat or, you know, something along those lines. What we kind of did is we took a lot of that same stuff, but we just spaced it out over the week. So you're getting a lot of the same things that you would need to continually drive your strength higher, but you're not cramming it all into one session, if that makes sense. So the time efficiency thing is, is really important to consider as well. And that's kind of the way the program is set up. The way it's set up is so that we can train a variety of different things without having to cram it all in one session. Yeah, well, well, Grant, that's the funny thing is when I was going through your programming, I got stronger every week, basically. And I don't think there was never a deload period either. It was just right. kind of like built in just through the variability. But, you know, it's funny because I, I still remember that first week where I was training and, you know, it was after I think just two workouts and an off day. I think I texted you and I was like, dude, I feel like a monster during my track <laughs> workout. And, you know, I think you just kind of nailed it right there where it's like the variability is super high, but the consistency is also super high and the intensity is there, but the volume's also there, right? The strength is there, but the elasticity is also there. And so you combine all those elements in that right time management approach and, and you're able to, to hit all of those things, basically, you know, every workout for the most part and so, to some extent or another. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure, Joel, you're probably familiar with this when you're programming track workouts, but there becomes a point where you kind of think, and some people do block periodization, and if that's what you do, then this probably this line of thought probably doesn't apply as much, but you kind of get to a point where it's like, how am I going to do all of the things that I need to do right, to be successful? And I think a lot of people have a hard time with that because they think they need to do the same thing every week to get good. When in reality, you can do, I think it was Mike Mincer that kind of popularized, you know, the whole like high intensity bodybuilding style training. There's a lot of people that argue about whether that was the ideal way to go about building muscle. But I think if you kind of take some of those concepts and you apply them to sports, you know, it's like you might do one really high intensity workout. And then I think it's like for another 14 days, you're not you wait basically 14 days to repeat that same high intensity workout. And so that's, that's a pretty good amount of time. That's about two weeks. And so I think people have this idea drilled in their head that they always need to be practicing and doing the same things over and over. And to some extent you need to, if you, if you're trying to throw a baseball really well, you need to practice throwing the baseball. Right. But there becomes a point where, you know, it's like, how am, am I doing this too much to the point where I'm actually regressing now? And how much do I really need to do this one thing? Or how often do I really need to do this one thing to get good at it, if that makes sense? Yeah, so I think that, that that's been one of the most powerful things in my, I guess, training arsenal in the last, I don't know, five, ten, probably about somewhere between the last, somewhere between six and eight years ago, I'd say I, I, that really started to get in my system of creating training and i think a lot of it if you ask me what i've learned from maybe like the last even three months 
I think a lot of that has to do with confidence because I think it's anxiety that keeps us tied to thinking we have to do something over and over, over again, repeatedly every single week. And there is a confidence. Absolutely. There's one, there's a confidence in like, no, I'm good on that. Like, and then two, just the rhythm and flow of how the body can learn and adapt depending on your adaptation scheme. But I remember, um, I think it came out of the DB hammer book or somewhere in that world. And I, and it was a scheme I kind of kept with me. I always liked, it was almost like French contrast, but over a two week period in the sense of like, you had a Monday where you had a heavy squat, you had a, like a Thursday or Friday with a depth jump type thing. You had a Monday coming back with like a speed squat. And then you had a Friday with like a, like a fast, like a rate plyo, like a fast hurdle hops or a, I don't think there was no fast hurdle hops in that program, but something, you know, something that's more like a fast lateral barrier hop for time, something that's puts more of a time frame, And so you're just slowly going down. And I think what people, even outside of the, the specific recovery, I guess you could call it frame. There's also the mental emotional recovery. Cause you always want to set someone up to PR every time they, they do these things, unless you're in bonder chuck land, which it's like, you know, there's, there's those parallels, right? But so I want to get into this. Actually, I just want to close out some thoughts because we didn't really, I guess, close out just my parting shot on this, the mobility thing, because I want to get into how you guys got together and where you were, Kevin, before and after the training programs and get into some nuts and bolts there. But based off what you guys are saying, I, I do like, you know, we can make things overly reductionist. We can make them overly holistic. I think with the mobility, I, I guess I think about, I like what you said, Kevin, just like, like letting sensation be your guide. We, we tend to be too quantitative too often. It's hard to put a number on stretching outside of you did it for this long and what were these results. But I do think that, you know, be it an extreme ISO or some other stretch you hold, knowing the short-term feeling, like I like doing like different dynamic mobility and then go sprint and see how it impacted you. And then there's, so know the short-term and then also be mindful of how you felt the next day, the day after and those types of, I just think that, because I do think maybe our views may differ a little bit on max mobility, those types of things, and that's fine. But I, I guess maybe if we had a common ground, I'd say it's like you said, like, like what, what am I like on the day and what recording and what am I feeling while I'm doing this, being very mindful, because I think we are not mindful enough, and then noting the next day and just noting differences. And I guess that's with all training. But <laughs> maybe hopefully that wasn't too simplistic in what I kind of took from it, at least what our common grounds are. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that you just nailed it with the mindfulness aspect where that's such a lost art in training. And we tend to approach all training sessions with that weight room mentality of more, 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 harder, 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 turn up the music. And we've just become so disconnected to our bodies. And I think that, you know, training mobility is, is your chance to, you know, set aside a separate session and work on mindfulness, like train mindfulness and get back in touch with your body, find the lines of tension learn that you learn that your hips can rotate. You know, how many athletes don't even know that their hips can rotate and, you know, learn how to breathe, focus on your breath. Like there's so much you can take away from it that goes beyond just the range of motion. So I think that's a, a really great point you just made there. Yeah, I agree with all that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I've, I've been meeting, I've like, I need to do more shows on mindfulness anyways. It's like a topic that's been <laughs> in my head. So, well, cool. Well, let's, let's go to basically like, how did you guys connect in regards to training Kevin, like what had you been, have you been doing Grant? How did you, what was your mindset in setting something up for Kevin? And tell me a little bit about you guys' collaboration together. Yeah. So where I was just before I, I started, well, me and Grant, we've been talking on Instagram for pretty much since I started my page, you know, we're, we're just kind of like two peas in a intellect, intellectual pod in terms of how we think and approach things. So we've just been messaging back and forth since 
probably the last couple of years. And I was at a point, so the training I had been doing, I, I was pretty much in like coach mode for my first post-collegiate year. Uh, so I was trying to find the absolute minimum effective dose of training. And basically the first half of my first year post-collegiate, I was doing, it was basically athletic truth group exercises meets easy strength system. And so it was just a lot of strength through length, you know, athletic truth group exercises, doing like two sets of five, just in and out of the gym, just pure business. And then I kind of moved into like Edo Portal bodyweight stuff, like pistol squats, shrimp, shrimp squats, squ- uh, crawling type stuff. And then the, the year ended and I was like, all right, you know what? I'm, I'm going all in on Tokyo 2020. So I'm going to go back into athlete mode and what better guy to call than Grant. So I hit him up and it's just kind of like, you know, man, I'm, I'm ready to, to start training on your program. What do you got for me? Yeah. So I think, you know, kind of going into, cause he sort of detailed a lot of the things that he was doing before. And so I think this program was good for him because it was sort of a little bit of all of that stuff kind of, you know, combined into one. And so that's the problem that I think a lot of people try to either, they either program hop or they try to program combine. And, you know, if you're trying to combine two people's programs, it's sometimes going to be difficult I'm not saying that you can't necessarily work on other things on the side. Like obviously like there were things that Kevin kind of did on his own, like certain things that he knew he needed to attain for his sport. And and he kind of understood his goals enough to obviously like do a lot of training on the side that he needed to do specifically. But when it came to our stuff, it was, you know, we touched on, on pretty much everything just enough that, you know, you don't, a lot of people, I think they, they follow somebody's speed program and they follow somebody's power building program. And then they're doing somebody's bodybuilding program to get bigger biceps. And it's like, they try to mash all of this stuff into one program and they're in the gym for like four hours. And then they're not even getting the adaptation that they're really looking for. And so with athletes, obviously there's going to be, I would say for the most part, you know, most athletes need to be faster. That's kind of the main thing. But then there's obviously things that are going to complement that, like building muscle to some extent, getting stronger. And so the pro, I mean, the minimum effective dose is kind of hard to determine. I don't think we'll ever be able to fully establish like what that actually is. Um, but there's a big difference between going in the gym and squatting for 60 minutes versus you're going in there for 20 minutes, doing some squats, uh, doing some jumps maybe with it and then getting out. So a lot of the stuff that we did um, kind of touched on everything, but it wasn't to the extent that he wasn't able to also do some of his own training on the side and a lot of the stuff that he um, felt like he needed to do as well. And so that's kind of the premise behind how I train pretty much all of my athletes as well is that you kind of have this um, base template for the most part and we're pretty much touching on everything to some extent to varying degrees each week. Yeah. So there were, there were two big things that I loved about uh, your, your programming grant. Uh, The first thing was just, you know, obviously I was doing the minimal effective dose before and your program was more of a no stone unturned maximal uh, maximal gain type program. Uh, So it was kind of flipping the script on that. But the other part was that your 
your program included a lot of stuff that, you know, could be considered quote unquote javelin specific, uh, like the long range of motion strength work, like training awkward angles, training end range strength. And then my favorite part was actually, uh, I think I actually told you about this, but you're, I guess you, I call it maybe like the collision training where we would set up the machines to kind of do like high rep, high force, uh, elastic kind of training, like upper body plyometric type stuff. Um, and, and that played a huge role in, uh, you know, I think I described it to you as like, it just felt like I developed structure in like my throwing arm that I, I had never had before. And so I thought that was cool. Um, you know, I, I had never really done that before. Uh, before I get any further, Kevin, actually tell me a little bit about the results that you had like before and after, cause I know you're hitting a lot of like lift PRs, like lift PRs. Cause I, I before we just get through the whole program and say, Oh, what were the results? I think it's important to note, like there was substantial. So tell me a little bit about how it impacted your lifts and your throws. Yeah. 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 So, um, the, the big measurements that I, I was using at that point. Uh, so for throws, my, my short approach throws, um, just like a three crossover throw went up by about five meters. Um, granted that had always been kind of one of my weak points as a thrower was short approach, kind of more like force driven, mm-hmm. uh, javelin throws. And so that really filled in that gap where, you know, normally I would, I would three crossover throw like 60 meters. Now I was doing 65 meters. Um, the other big thing was uh, 2K ball throws. So two kilogram ball throws are kind of like one of the big metrics of um, it's one of like the, the finish metrics of, you know, transfer to javelin throw. And my 2K ball throw went up by about four meters Um I went from like easily under 30 meters to just over 30 meters. Um, so those are just two big things. And, and those happen in a pretty short time frame. I never actually got to take any um, full measured practice throws uh, just because eventually COVID hit. And obviously I'm in Connecticut during the winter. So um, I never got a chance to actually measure that, but um those are kind of like the metrics that I was using, uh, during the time that I was training. Cool. And then lifts, lifts obviously got a lot better. Oh, when I started working with Grant, <laughs> I actually, I didn't even write down my squat PR. I just said not 315, <laughs> <laughs> not three plates. <laughs> um, but then by the end I was putting up, uh, it was four plates on, one of the box squat variations. I can't remember which one. I think it was to parallel. Cool. So the structure was based, I know Grant, we talked about this last time, how you do you do like a different, it's like three weeks running. It's like a 21 day cycle kind of, or correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't repeat the same lift for two or three weeks. Was that similar with Kevin? Like kind of what, what was the vibe of what you had him on? Yeah, it, it was pretty much the same thing. Um, I think with the max effort lifts, we've changed how we do them just a little bit. Um, it's still pretty similar, but what I had him on was, you know, you would do a squat like week one, week two would be a deadlift. Uh, week three might be a different squat variation, like, or you could even maybe do the same squat, but with chains or something like that. And so 
you know, you're getting, you're, you're training basically all of your weak points. Uh, like there's no position that you're going to be weak in. Uh, you're doing wide stance, you're doing close stance, you're using chains. And so that kind of goes back to, you know, how do we get people to improve without spending 60 minutes in the gym doing squats? And the way to do that is to provide a lot of variation um, so that people always have something that they can uh, improve on. And, you know, it's funny because you kind of have like two sides of the coin where initially you're going to make a lot of progress really fast, um, probably faster than, I mean, really any other type of program that I've seen, just to be completely honest, you're going to jump in your weights pretty fast. Um, and then even when you do get to that point, when you plateau, um, you're always going to be, you're always going to be making some type of continual steady progress. You know, it might be five pounds here, five pounds there. Um, and the great thing about that is, is you don't have to go in the gym and spend all day worrying about, okay, what progression system am I going to use this week? Or what exercise do I need to work on to nail this weakness? Um, in, in some ways, and in a lot of ways, you can actually go into the gym and pick your rep scheme that day if you want. Um, or even the exercise that you do. Obviously, with Kevin and a lot of the athletes I train, we structure it a little bit more so that they're not repeating um, certain things too often. So if they come in and do a max one week, um, we'll probably have them do like a heavy five the next week, just so we're not being, <clears throat> uh, too redundant. Um, so with the athletes training, I, I structure it a lot more, but when it comes to my own training, um, it's really easy to go in the gym, pick an exercise, pick a rep scheme you haven't done in a while. And that's pretty much it. The rest is history. Um, and when you kind of set everything up in that structure, it's really easy to do that. And it's really easy to have a lot of autonomy with your own training and a lot of choice with your own training as well. So if you come in and you feel like, uh, I'm just not going to be able to PR on this today, or, you know, this just, my back hurts and maybe I need to do something else. There's always something that you can find that's going to fit your specific issue and your specific needs for that day. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I, I, Grant, I've my training has totally gone in that direction. I used to, in my mid twenties, I'd probably like write out my training week for the most part, you know, the general structure. And in my thirties, early thirties, I did a lot of powerlifting programs that took five inches off my vertical because I didn't do enough elastic work and various things. Um, but recently, it's kind of like. I, I, my weeks go, I know I'm, I, I'm following a high low these days. I, I could probably get back on a, a, a high high where it's like a weight day, a plyo day. I did that a lot in my late twenties, early thirties and still could handle it. And then I, that's not besides the point, but it's like, now I, I know I have three lifting days and I just know I basically, it's kind of like, I think about it. Like, um, I've heard of like Paul check doing intuitive eating. Like you walk in the kitchen, what does my body want? <laughs> oh, it wants eggs. You know, like, like, but, but being in touch with yourself and kind of knowing what you want. And it has become that it's kind of like, I step in there and it's like, ah, I think I need to hex bar deadlift today. I think I need to do like a step up variation to get in my, connect my feet and hips. And we'll just figure out the set and reps when I get there. And it's not, it's definitely like I've, I've gotten in better for a lot of reasons, but I've gotten in better physical condition by a long shot than I have been in the past. And for, I'm doing a lot of holistic health and recovery things. I'm even talking about that on the back end, but I just, I, I feel like once you know the game and it's kind of reminds me of Corey Schlesinger, how he sets up with his athletes, like they 
have a, at least when he was at Stanford, he showed me they have like a big touch TV screen. Here's your three items. You can, you can do these three squats. You can do these three types of benches or one of these three you get to pick. And then it's almost like teaching people to fish more and more as they get more intuitive. Like maybe you have to start with one if it's the athlete who just started, but maybe eventually you can get to the point where it just becomes more intuitive over time. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people aren't ready to train that intuitive. So you kind of have to structure things a little bit more in the beginning. Um, but as you get to a certain point, I think a lot of people can and should get to that point where they understand how to set up their training um, and how to do it in a way that isn't going to, you know, obviously detract from their progress. So like there's some people, if, if you gave a beginner, you know, a, a plan and you told them, okay, you can pick whatever you want. They're going to pick the same things over. Yeah. Over, they, right? they don't know enough. So you things, have to, yeah. yeah. So you have to have a certain amount of structure and you have to say, okay, like I know you don't like doing this, but you really need to. And so that's kind of why, you know, we may still be doing a squat. It's not like you're going to get out of doing a squat, but if your back hurts, we might do squats with chains. Right. So you have to get to that point where, you know, you're intuitive enough to do the stuff that you need to do to still improve. But you can change it up just a little bit to kind of meet your daily and weekly uh, needs, if that makes sense. I think it's interesting. Um, I think it was Evan Pycon who was telling me this, who with the work with the Moxie monitor and blood oxygen and talking about how elite level CrossFitters who've been clearly training probably on their own, a lot of their training career had just figured out how to end their, their wad or their set. Like when they reached this point where they're, lactate would get too high and they would mess themselves up for the next word, you know, like this subtle art of auto regulation. And you wonder where, and the lower level CrossFitters, I think this is me hoping that I'm correct with my memory, but I believe like the intermediate level or the beginner level did not have that amount of self-regulation. They could not, they just blasted the set and they couldn't figure out how to like leave enough in the tank so that they were good the next day. And so to me, it's that, that intuition is probably not necessarily that much different than the, Hey, I'm walking into Corey Schlesinger's gym and here's three items on the menu and I know which one I need to pick on the day stuff like that. Um, I just think the art of training and intuition an athlete will never get it unless you give them a choice. You know, you, there's that art and right. that selection. Yeah, absolutely. I like the, um, I like that, the, I like how that flows. I'm just thinking how that flows in that system. So it's basically like in Grant, it'd be like the week one, pick a squat. It would like then week two, pick a deadlift, week three, pick a squat assistance. Or would that be kind of a, a flow, a potential flow of that? Cause I do like, I love the 21 day cycle, the 14 day cycle. It's just, so you're setting up, but there's just a lot of autonomy in that cycle, not for everybody, but how did that work with you? Or what's your thoughts on that? And then how did that work with you and Kevin? Yeah. So I think that's a good idea. And again, like that's not exactly what I have uh, my athletes do. They don't necessarily uh, pick, but they do know that they kind of have the option to do something a little different if they're not feeling Mm. good. The good thing about the program is they're usually not feeling bad just because of the way it's set up. Um, You know, if you're doing, you're using chains and you're using bands and you're changing the variation of the squad, it's very unlikely unless it was like an acute injury or a sports related thing that you're even going to come into the gym and have those overuse issues. So that's usually not too much of a problem. Um, when it comes to my own training, it's a little bit more pick and choose. Um, 
but I think it just kind of depends on, you know, the person that you're working with. And then with Kevin, pretty much everything that was in the program was laid out for him. I, was there anything that you ever really changed, Kevin? No, I, I was just going to say, I, I didn't even really need to be super intuitive with my training. I, cause I just would read the paper, do it and felt great. So that was, that was cool. Yeah. And that's, that's the great thing about it is, is it's almost like the, the, uh, I guess you could say like, if you don't know how to train intuitive, that's a good place to start because it's kind of, it takes into account the principles of what intuitive training is without you having to think about it, which sounds kind of funny because yeah. obviously like intuitive, that's the, the idea behind intuitive training. Uh, but when you kind of just look at it from like the sets, reps, exercises perspective, it, it would look almost like somebody came in there and said, okay, I'm going to do this today because my back hurts and I'm going to do this next week because I haven't done that in a while. Um, so you get a lot of those benefits. And then obviously, and with some of my more advanced athletes, like I have some guys that actually that train with me now. And a lot of those guys will kind of change things up on the spot sometimes. Um, so again, it, it just kind of depends. Um, I don't think that you always have to be super intuitive with it. Uh, but that definitely is an option, which a lot of programs, you know, don't, they don't give you that option. If you, if you come in, it's like, we got to do 80% today, right? You got to add five pounds and that's, if you can't do it, you can't do it, you know, and that's that, if that makes sense. I think that something I wanted to mention before I got too far is I think that there is that line between it, the power of choice is awesome. Um, but if you have, if there's too much choice, I think maybe Dan John has talked about this too, where it's like just almost where you just, you have to reduce and simplify and just have to do something. Um, or the, the power of, the power of the, I don't think, I think this is more present, like I said, with, with novice athletes, as you get more advanced, you should have more choice and, and that. But I also think that even in advanced, like, let's say I'm training track athletes, maybe I can give them a little bit of choice. Like if we're doing some workouts in the off season and I know we should probably touch a certain amount of volume, maybe I give them some choice and like maybe the mode of the exercise a little bit, but there has to be like the reckoning, you know, there, you can't get out of like just work, I think through, through, uh, through choice. Like there has to be that volume, but, uh, then maybe perhaps later in the season or in the peaking, they could, they could have more, um, ownership over the actual like volumes and things like that. And, and that type of thing. But I think that there always needs to be like a funneling into something more solid where there's less choice and you just have to do it and get over it and emotionally work your way through it. Uh, unless that's there at some point in a program, you're just, I think it, it can, it never challenges you on an, on a certain level or that level, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, completely. Um, I feel like, you know, it's a really fine balance between structure and then variability. So in the program, uh, so Kevin, you wouldn't repeat a lift then to like once every four weeks, you would see the same lift or, or how often, cause I know your PR, you said you're PRing like all the time. So it was like every time you got back to lift, yeah. you PR, you see a new lift every or see the same lift every four weeks, something like that. Uh, yeah. So it was, I think it was a different lift every week, but, uh, the other part of it too, is it would be like a different rep PR. So it was like, okay, maybe week one, I would, I would do like box squat to parallel for, you know, five reps or something like that. But then maybe I actually can't even remember if I, uh, repeated the same lift or not, 
But I remember it was like, it was a different rep PR every week, which was really cool. Um, just because, you know, everybody wants to hit a, a PR, right? You just feel good. It makes you feel like a beast. And, uh, so that was something I really liked was, you know, even whether it was a different exercise or a different rep PR or, uh, or whatever, um, you know, you, you always had an opportunity to hit a new best. And I, I think that there's something pretty, pretty powerful about that, even just in terms of like, you know, different person covering different personalities and stuff or like, you know, some guys really thrive on the variation, but th- some guys really thrive on, you know, the competition aspect and, you know, it kind of touched on both for me. And I think that was a big part of um, just why things really resonated with, with me. Yeah. I think that the power that the more people I talk to, the more programs I explore just that, I mean, I don't know who the first person to come up with that, you know, maybe the bigger, faster, stronger was, uh, was it, you know, with that. And I know Tony Holler's written on that in the context of speed training and, I think that it is interesting to think, you know, if everything works in pendulums and cycles, are there, you know, seasoned strength coaches listening to this who are like, oh, bigger, faster, stronger, had this, you know, like there, maybe there's nothing new under the sun in some sense. Maybe we're always recreating versions of it, right? But I think if you're not doing, I, I always think of where this fits on the polarity too. Like on one end, you have just solid, steady work, like Bonder Chuck type. You're just, and you're just going with the program and you, you aren't going to see the, the real like the real like result until the end of the adaptation cycle you know maybe you did 25 sessions and you hit your peak and now you're kind of going down again and and maybe it's the environment and the energy too that's an important part of that you know trusting that system but it seems like the fail safe is just can i come in and pr today can i use facilitate competition can i pr every week and it also makes me think about uh, grant I, I was gonna ask you this is how maybe we talked about this last time maybe we didn't but do you find yourself often, I, I suppose it depends on the group, but like steering the workout so that the athlete, you know, the athlete can hopefully PR, like, like, would you steer what you're doing on the day? Be like, Oh, here's something that you can PR and that you, or how do you, how do you treat that? Or what's your philosophy on that? Sometimes. Yeah. So it's not, I wouldn't say that PRing necessarily is the end all be all. Um, it's definitely set up to allow them to do that and make that incremental progress. Um, so sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, uh, if you actually, I just put up a post on this, uh, but yesterday we did, I think it was like a depth to hurdle jump. And so a lot of people PR'd on their depth to hurdle jump. And then a lot of people were kind of struggling on it, myself included, because I did the same workout. And so we switched it up to where some people kind of did like a run up jump. Some people did like a lateral jump. Um, and it was funny because a lot of people were really struggling on that depth jump. And then they switched to the hurdle hop and just destroyed it. So, you know, you would think, okay, I'm going to get higher on the depth to hurdle jump than I am a lateral hurdle hop. Um, But I think sometimes mentally, if there's something that's kind of getting in the way there, that can hold back your performance. And so if you change the exercise up a little bit and kind of find something that you can get a good rhythm and a good flow going on, um, you know, sometimes you can PR on something that may, or, or even have a better performance on something that would be maybe a little bit harder on paper. So sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, it, it kind of just depends on the, uh, the exercise that we're doing and just how everybody's feeling that day. Yeah. There's always gotta be, a, there's always gonna be a huge 
art the art of element together yeah. you're never going to have that exact equation to say when do you not need to pr when do you need to pr especially once i think you get into the more versus like you know seven day cycles where you're going to see the same exercises sets every week and to me i think that probably works really well for beginners because you're going to pr every week pretty much no matter what if you've never done this stuff but at some point you're going to have to see that every two weeks or three weeks and but even then yeah like there's an art form to selecting what you're going to actually do and if you're going to go for it or not or just build or move beyond it um yeah and i i only think there is a time and place to have things that are a little bit more structured so if you look at block periodization you look at peaking and tapering or like some of the bonder chuck stuff i think a lot of that stuff can work kind of as you get closer to your your uh competition because you want to Sometimes remove a little bit of the variability. Obviously, you may still kind of have some of that on the back burner just to kind of keep things, uh, just to keep a lot of your progress on some of those other exercises and whatnot. At some point, I think it's important to have certain periods. They're not going to be long. It might be leading up to a competition or something where maybe you kind of reduce the variability a little bit and you do kind of a more structured peaking or you know, a tailored type of a program to really drive home a specific goal. Um, I don't think that should necessarily be the foundation of your program though. Yeah. Yeah. I know the Bonner Chuck system was very good at getting people to taper at the right time because you know, you know exactly how many sessions you have that run up or you had like the Charlie Francis 10 day taper and these structured things that can get you from A to B at that right time. Cause I imagine, yeah, like a, a more, a more, um, fluid system that's not so linear you it's going to be a lot harder to say i'm going to peak here <laughs> like this day is going to be the best uh, i mean of course you could always say well you just feed the athletes something they don't need for x amount of time and of course they're going to be better at the end of it you know if, if you're tapering down but but yeah there's always shades of it right there's always kind of different uh I mean, how do you approach like taper periods grant if, if someone's you know you're you're usually you're saying okay we're not going to repeat this lift for x amount of weeks but then someone's got like a combine coming up um, what do you, what comes, it goes in your head when it's like, okay, now we're, we're going to get ready. We want to be the best at X, Y, Z date. So sometimes it can be a little difficult, especially if you have a lot of athletes in the same room. Um, we have a lot of different people that come in that are playing different sports. Their seasons are at different times and stuff. So we kind of have two programs. We have like the in-season program and then we have more of an off-season program um, the off season program is in a lot of ways, kind of like an extended taper or peak. Um, I, it's not really going to look anything like anything out of super training or like a, uh, bonder Chuck type of system. It's just going to be a little less variability. We're going to focus a little bit more on, um, certain speed and plyo exercises obviously will reduce, some of the higher impact stuff. Um, but really it's just kind of reducing the variability a, a bit, kind of making certain components of the training a little bit more consistent. Mm -hmm. And then if we have somebody that's going to, maybe they need a peak for a, uh, a very specific competition. Sometimes it's hard because a lot of the kids will be doing stuff at school or they're doing, um, you know, a coach's workout. So, what I really do is I kind of just step back a little bit. We sort of just reduce a lot of the stuff they're doing in the gym. 
Um, we might microdose some more sprints or microdose uh, specific jump variations just to kind of keep their nervous system, uh, you know, on and ready. If that sort of makes sense. Um, if they're a day or two out from a competition, we might do. I don't know if you're familiar with some of Christian Thibodeau's like neural charge workouts. Yeah. Sometimes we'll do stuff that's kind of along those lines, uh, but it's really not too complicated. It's just the same training, just a little less variation and a little more of the stuff that they're going to be doing in sport, which is obviously sprints, jumps, and some of that high-velocity stuff. Cool. So in summer, you'd say like when with off-season building time, you open variability up so that each workout can really be more intense you, because you're gonna, you get longer to recover from that specific workout. You can PR more often. And then when it's time to hone that down into a specific skill, less variability, you're going to see a little bit more of the same thing. Everything gets a little more specific to the skill. Um, I, that yeah. would be a good summary. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's always going to be a little bit of variability just on the back burner so that you can kind of maintain some of that strength and maintain some of those foundational qualities that, you're, uh, that you used and built to support um, some of the more specific skills. Would that variability be in like, I know Bush Sexier talks about keeping things really simple on the big days, but then the recovery days being a ton of variability. Would that be where you're getting it a little bit more on the, that, that run up, like the recovery days, or are you still getting it on the, um, some of the bigger days? Yeah. Um, it would be a lot more variability within the, the accessory exercises. Yeah. I think sometimes there can be a certain point where if you have, too much variability with your big lifts and some of those really high stress exercises, they can make you a little too sore. Um, if you're not, if you haven't done that stimulus or you haven't been exposed Mm -hmm. to that stimulus in a while. So we sort of cut back the variability on some of the higher intensity stuff. And then we kind of up it on more of the lower intensity, uh, auxiliary based movements. Cool. Cool, cool. Uh, Kevin, any any parting shots on on what we've been talking about with the training, the, the outcomes, uh, the and the flow of the program as you uh, work through it? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I guess one thing that just kind of came to mind just while you guys were talking about the periodization is, um, you know, I think for a lot of athletes, we get so caught up on peaking that we never actually like adapt. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, where you know we're so worried about getting ready and feeling good after every workout that we never really put in, you know, the high intensity accumulation week after week, after week, after week. And, you know, I guess that was something that was really eye opening for me, uh, just worked through grants program was, you know, I was putting in the work more work than I had in the last like two years. And yet I was improving every week and I was, I was feeling good and powerful and athletic. And I, I think that, you know, there's just something powerful to that of, you know, you shouldn't be coming back the same athlete year after year after year, right? You should be taking the time to build these foundations of strength and variability and intensity and volume and all of that. So it's just like food for thought, I guess, but um, definitely just something to keep in mind for a lot of, a lot of athletes, especially like the, the younger ones, the freshmen, the sophomore, um, right? Are you, do you really want to peak for your your uh first meet of the year so that you can get you know sixth place at so-and-so meet uh at the cost of you know fully developing yourself come senior year and then to even add just a little bit to that i think a lot of people have in their mind that they can't 
hit a PR or um, a really good performance if they've had a hard training week. You know, like we, when we were doing those jumps, I think we did at least over a hundred, a hundred jumps or so like over the hurdles. And I mean, that's close to double what we would normally do in terms of volume and intensity. And um, I mean, people were pretty tired by the end of it, but I mean, we didn't hit our PRs until like the very end. And I think competition, engagement, a lot of the, uh, the beliefs that we have about training can either propel us forward or they can hold us back. So you can easily know SIBO yourself into thinking that, oh, I just had a hard training week or I just did a really hard workout and, you know, man, that was really tough. So next week is going to suck or I squatted heavy, so I'm not going to be able to sprint fast this week. And I think to some extent, there's some truth to that. Obviously, we want to structure certain components of our training um, at certain times of year of the year to facilitate certain goals better. Um, but I think it's we've kind of blown some of that a little out of proportion just in terms of um, what we're actually capable of doing and what we're not. Yeah, I found the more um, kind of open in terms of variability the training becomes i i see that more almost in that because a lot, i think a lot, some of it being psychological you know you, you know you're not gonna you're just not working quite the same pathway for whatever reason and in the hard workouts just distributing the types of hard workouts that you do like you were talking last um podcast grant about doing iso lunges with holding dumbbells in your hands and versus not doing it i mean i just the mental um, even just the mental variability of, you know, if I had to do a five minute ISO lunge every week, like that's a lot of adrenaline secretion as Christian Thibodeau talks about it. But if I get to break it up a little bit, this is gonna be hard. It's just gonna be different. It just d- definitely makes a difference. And I've well, I, off, yeah. off that Joel, um, off that, I feel like if you can, right, there's the physical adaptation, but then there's the psychological adaptation where if you're not scared of that five minute lunge anymore, week after week after week then I think you're a better athlete for that. I think that you're a more confident, more powerful athlete, um, and you can channel that energy into other training. Yeah, I I completely agree. I know we were talking a little bit about that before the show, Kevin, and I I felt it. I had a hill run this morning, and I I smashed my my old times, and I had just done a five-minute iso lunge the week before, and I was honestly keeping almost the sense of victory of that lunge with me like as I was going through these hill runs. It's just I could feel what I had overcome to hit that time. And, and I mean, the pain of the hill run was nowhere, not even close. It wasn't even a, a 10th of that. ISO lunge. <laughs> it's just emotionally, but it's nice. If I would have had to do a five minute ISO lunge again this week, I don't know, like, but I'd just be able to channel that into the hill run. It was, it was good stuff. Um, I have actually I have one last thing and that's it, it was as per the training program. And you guys mentioned a little bit before, uh, doing you know, too much, too little of something. And so with the strength, like, so Kevin, you clearly gained a, a ton of strength. Now, if you had continued and, and on, I, I, I don't know how long you guys, you know, did this program, but let's just say I know, you did it for a year or, or, or in your mind moving forward, like you have the strength, you have these lifts, your, if we look at transfer training tables, your, your lifts are more in range of, you know, a, a 80 meter or whatever thrower. How are you approaching mod? I mean, I know you're still putting time in the way you're in these skills. Are, is there any modifications, thoughts, ideas now that a higher level to this set has been attained as you move forward? Yeah. I mean, I think just going back to, um, you know, just those kind of like self-imposed limitations I had been putting on myself, I feel just a lot more confident to 
you know, throw harder, throw more often. Like the the base of of general strength that I've gotten has allowed me to massively increase the amount of specific work I do, um, which I actually was expecting kind of like the opposite initially going into it where, you know, I thought, oh, okay, well, if I'm going to be doing upper body work, I'm probably going to have to cut down on my throwing stuff. Um, but it was actually totally the opposite. And so I think that's kind of been like my big takeaway is just always maintain that level of general strength and structure and, you know, whatever it was, um, you know, always have that in order to feed into, in order to funnel into the specific work that I'm doing. Um, and, and, you know, it's like everybody says, it's like the best athlete is the one who can find a way to train their sport the most often, right? The more, the more sessions you can do mm-hmm. uh, specific work in, the more hours you spend doing your specific skill, uh, the better you're going to be. And obviously javelin is a very high stress skill. So, you know, you, you have to put in the, the work to build that physical foundation in order to do that. I know, uh, one of the stories I remember is, uh, so Tara Kamaki had thrown that 91 meters. I don't know how long ago that was, but it's like almost every year after that 91, it was like the next year was 90, then it was 89. It's almost like he lost a meter a year for so many years. And then Jan Zelesny started coaching him and he said like the first thing he said, or one of the first things was he's just become too rigid, too much heavy. And you've seen those like highlight tapes of pit. I mean, that guy's a monster, like just the absolute yeah. monster in the weight room, a beast. And so um, I guess my, my question is, is how, at what point, how do you become prevent from that happening in, in light of what we're talking about? And because obviously the, the, the physical prep has given you the work capacity. Awesome. You know, like how do you mitigate yeah, yeah. not that, that trail of uh, degradation? You stretch. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you, uh, you just have to, you have to address it from a, a holistic approach, right? So, you know, it's, you understand what the, the strength work is doing to you in terms of, you know, obviously you're getting the good adaptations, but you have to also be aware of the quote unquote negative adaptations and, you know, just put in the, the work in the other areas of athleticism too, uh, to negate that. So, you know, f- make sure you maintain your mobility throughout, uh, you know, the heavy lifting stuff, make sure you don't lose touch with, you know, internal rotation and, uh, you know, spinal segmentation, make sure you're, uh, maintaining some level of running volume to maintain your elasticity, keep your, your feet strong. Um, you know, there's enough, you know, information and programs out there to, you know, to, to find different ways to do that. Um, it's just about finding what fits best into, uh, the bigger picture, uh, of the, the whole training plan. Yeah. I, I think what Kevin said there is important because, that, I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make when they claim that, you know, lifting weights made them slower or uh, building muscle made them slower. It's a lot of, a lot of these people are going into the gym and they're doing uh, the, these insane volumes or they're doing things that are, you know, detracting from their ability to effectively play their sport. And so if you kind of take all these things and you put them together into uh, a balanced program, I really don't think you'll have too many issues. Um, I mean, t- to some extent, there are things with maximal strength training, you're going to get um, certain tendon architecture adaptations that may uh, not be super specific to, you know, high velocity activities and, you know, elastic related stuff. Um, but you can really look at that, you know, one of two ways. And 
the way I choose to look at it is if you're doing some maximal strength, but you're also say throwing and running five times a week, um, you're just going to give yourself a little bit more balance in terms of, um, I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Keith Barr. Um, it was somebody that Jake had on and he was saying that, you know, some of that heavier maximal strength training is kind of good, uh, just because your tendons are, uh, viscoelastic. So they have components that are going to respond well to heavy strain training, and they're going to have components that respond well to things like elasticity. So if you're predominantly doing a lot of elastic stuff, the strain training is really just going to, instead of detracting or deteriorating from uh, your throwing, it's just going to give you a little bit more balance in terms of, you know, what am I doing? Are, what am I doing a lot of already and what maybe do I need a little bit more of? And so that's kind of what a lot of the training that we do in the gym is centered around is it's just kind of giving athletes um, certain strategies and, and certain options that maybe they may not be getting a lot of in sport. And so if you look at improving posture, if you look at improving, uh, you know, joint range of motion, it all kind of comes back to that. It's like, what, what does this athlete predominantly use and what could we maybe give them a little bit more of on the opposite side of the of the uh, spectrum? Yeah, sounds good. Um, I know we've we've kind of run a quite a course here on this chat so far today, and I I uh, I think our time is finally up. But it's good talking. It's good talking about these topics, and I like just digging into case studies too. I don't think we do enough case studies on the show, so. I'm happy that you guys are both uh, able to, you know, give some of your time and talk about these things. I, I did want to, I originally wanted to hit uh, recovery and supplements a little bit, but maybe next time. But I appreciate you Shoot guys. Shoot the red light. Yeah. <laughs> Check look, it out. What, what in red light? <laughs> For, for the red light therapy and shilaji that's it right yeah there. Sure. yeah just those two okay there you go there's our last uh, i'll put that as a topic and with like 20 seconds to go on the show notes so <laughs> that'll be awesome all right guys well, hey thank you so much i'll uh, i really appreciate it thanks for yeah, having thanks us thanks a lot Joel. That finishes up another show. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you who taken the time to use this as a learning platform. If you enjoy it, you can definitely help us out by leaving a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher. And before we get out of here, I wanted to give one last shout out to our sponsor, simplyfaster.com. They've been a longtime supporter of this show, so we cannot thank them enough for their support. You can help them out by going and checking out their blog or their online store, which has so many pieces of the best of in sport tech data and then training tools. All right, that does it. We'll see you guys next week.